Appreciate the thought and the heart behind our music today, and thank you, team, for helping us to worship the Lord. Uh, we are going to go a little different direction this morning in our time in God's Word. We have been in the book of Romans, but we're going to take a detour today, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, John, chapter 21. And uh, there are a couple of reasons for this. One is that uh, Faith and I were traveling this last week. We were gone Wednesday and got home late last night. I tried to prepare a sermon from Romans 14. I really did. And uh, just found that it was difficult uh, while, we were, while we were on the move. And I want to do the, the passage justice. I want to teach and preach it well. And didn't want to skimp on that. And so rather than come in with a half-baked sermon... Um, I decided to wait on that, and uh, so, so we'll pick that up, Lord willing, as we heard in the scripture reading today, right? If the Lord wills, we'll pick it up uh, next Sunday. And another reason for going to this passage, I would say, is it okay to say it's my birthday? Is it okay to, to just kind of get put that out there? And do you guys know what birthday it is? I know, it's my 60th birthday. So I'm a preacher, my 60th birthday, is it okay to preach whatever I want? I mean, from the Bible, from the Bible, but, but, but something that I love. Is that okay? All right, okay. Well, that's what we're going to do. So, so two reasons why uh, we're going to go to John 21. I love this passage. I really do. And I don't have uh, slides for you today. I don't have notes for you today outlined, so we're just going to ride this together, okay? So we're going to go to John 21, and here's what I'm going to call this. How imperfect disciples can serve Jesus. How imperfect disciples can serve Jesus. Now, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, right? Uh, you're at church today, so you must have some interest in Jesus, or at least in God or something to do with God. If you've trusted Jesus Christ to save you, and you have given your life to him, then you are a follower of Jesus. And if we, if we love Jesus and we are following Jesus, we want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to do his will. We want his will to become our will. We want to do what he's instructed us to do, both in how we live our personal lives day to day, but also how we, how we carry out his, the mission that he has given us to spread the gospel and to make more disciples. So if, if, you, if you believe in Jesus, you love Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to want to serve Jesus, but what we run into is the fact that we are far from perfect, aren't we? And those imperfections can discourage us. Those imperfections can hinder us from serving Jesus the way that we know we should and the way that in our hearts we want to. So God, in his wonderful wisdom and grace, has given us such a great example of an imperfect disciple in the life of a man named Peter. And here in John 21, Jesus interacts with Peter in a very personal way and demonstrates to Peter that even as an imperfect disciple, he can serve Jesus and we can learn a lot from that, can't we? And we can as well. Just as a reminder, the morning of Jesus' resurrection, the angel told the women at the tomb, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And then the angel gave instructions to those women at the tomb. They, he, the angel said, Go and tell his disciples, and this is interesting, and Peter. So the angel made sure that the message would get to Peter. And Peter, that he, Jesus, is going before you into Galilee. 
That's the region to the north of Jerusalem. That's around the Sea of Galilee. That was the home area of Jesus and those disciples. He's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they want to see Jesus. He, he rose from the dead. They want to see him. So they go. They followed the instructions. So let's join Peter and the disciples now by the Sea of Galilee. Look with me at John 21, starting with verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Roman name for the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Now, notice in verse 1, twice it says he showed himself. So this is about Jesus revealing himself to his disciples in a very specific way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. If I count correctly, I think that's seven. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Well, right away, I can identify with Peter. I like fishing. Anybody here like fishing? I like fishing. But this was a different kind of fishing. This wasn't fishing for fun or fishing for sport. This was fishing for dinner and for a livelihood. And, you know, sometimes we fault Peter and say, well, he was, you know, going off, kind of going back to his old way of life and all of that. And that's possible. But it might just be that he was thinking about, you know what, while we wait, let's do something productive and let's catch something that we can eat and also take to the market and sell and, and provide for our needs. So there isn't necessarily anything wrong with what Peter and these men were doing. But if you're a fisherman, uh, you know sometimes what it means to uh, get skunked right? And that means to catch nothing. And that's what happened here. They caught nothing. So here's the first way for imperfect disciples to learn to serve Jesus. I'll try to give these to you clearly in case you would like to write them down. Number one, recognize the futility of our efforts without him. Recognize the futility of our efforts without Jesus. Let me keep reading, starting in verse 4. It says, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. So, so they decide to go and, and, for whatever reason, probably a, a good reason, to go out and try to catch some fish, and uh, they're not doing very well, are they? So Jesus appears, and, and do you think he was asking the question, do you have any food, because he didn't know? No, what was he doing? He was asking the question to bring to their attention the fact that their work was unproductive, and you can imagine they are weary, they are hungry, it's, it's first light, and there's a mist on the water, and they hear this voice from shore, and literally it, it could be that the words can mean something like this, boys, you don't have a bite to eat, do you? Hear this voice coming across the water, and you hear kind of a, kind of a grumbling tone coming back, no, <laughs> we don't. 
Cast your net on the right side. You'll find some. Now that probably caused a little bit of a, of a flashback for these disciples. Look with me at Luke chapter 5. Look back at the Gospel of Luke chapter 5 for a minute. And it seems that Jesus all along was teaching a lesson. He was sending little reminders to these disciples. And even those words and that situation probably was a reminder to them of what happened that we find recorded in Luke chapter 5. Let me read starting in verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Who's that? That's Peter, isn't it? And asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, to Peter, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Sound familiar? Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats, both the boats, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Isn't our Savior such a gracious teacher and sends such powerful messages, sometimes through what he demonstrates in our lives? And all of a sudden, these disciples find themselves in a situation where it's, almost, it's like deja vu and, and the, the, the sensation and the, the experience are very familiar to them. And that there's even a lesson in, in exactly the, the way that this unfolded with going from nothing to going to so many fish that they could not even handle it. Faith and I have had the opportunity to, uh, to visit missionaries in, in different places in the world. And uh, while we're with these missionaries and just encouraging them and seeing, seeing their ministries, uh, we get to enjoy some fun experiences with them as well. And we visited a missionary family uh, on a small island in the South Pacific, in the Micronesian Islands. And the people who live there fish, just, just like this, right? They fish. They fish for a livelihood. They fish to put dinner on the table. And they, they enjoy it, too. They have fun. And so these, sometimes they use cast nets, but they also use a rod and reel or a hand line often as well. And so uh, they, they took us out night fishing one night on their boat. And we went out into this harbor. And in the harbor, there was a deep channel for the larger uh, larger vessels to pass through there. And so we were getting set up, and they um, you know, gave everybody a, a rod, and, and uh, they, they took one rod, and they put a big chunk of meat on, on a very large hook. And, and the guy, uh, Mark, just took it and just whizzed it out there as far as he could. So this, this hunk of meat on a big old hook launched out into the harbor there, and it dropped down into a channel, into that channel. And uh, then he handed it to Faith, and so Faith sitting there with, with this rod and uh, you know, waiting for something to happen, waiting for a nibble, waiting for a bite, and pretty soon feels a pretty strong tug on that line and then, and then starts to pull on it, starts to try to reel it. 
And, and they said, lift it up and then reel down, lift it up and reel down. And she was like jamming into her stomach and trying to lift it up. And, and she asked me to kind of help her. And it was like trying to lift a bus out of the water, right? And so, so she cranks and pulls and cranks and pulls and, and finally gets this fish in beside the boat. And it was about a seven-foot-long shark that, that she had caught. And, and as it came next to the boat... That, that shark rolled, and the sandpaper rough skin of the shark just cut through that line like a piece of sewing thread, and it was gone, right? And the missionaries were like, whew, we did not want to have to get that thing in the boat, right? <laughs> Who wants a shark like that in the boat? So, uh, so, so, so it was kind of more than we could handle, right? And that was the idea, but fun while it, while it happened. I think that's kind of what these disciples were feeling, right? I mean, all of a sudden, they have this catch that's just more than they are able to handle. And, and there was a revelation in that. Jesus was demonstrating to them their insufficiency and his all-sufficiency. He knew exactly where those fish were. He instructed them specifically what to do. And he provided for them in a, such a super abundant way that they could not even handle it. And what we see then, starting in verse 7, is now a recognition, right? So we see Jesus' revelation of himself through this little demonstration. And now we start to see some recognition starting in verse 7. It says, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, and who's that describing? That's John, the writer of this gospel, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, that's about 100 yards, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So you hear the recognition John is the one who, who declares that recognition. It's the Lord. But who, is, who does he speak to? To Peter, doesn't he? The focus of this story really is Peter. I mean, it's Jesus, but it's Jesus and Peter. And it says that, that Peter plunged into the water. One translation says he threw himself into the water. It's actually the same word as, as casting the net in verse 6. So they, they cast the net into the water, and then Peter cast himself into the water. And headed for shore. And verse 11 says that this net was full of large fish. And that is in contrast to the, to the zero fish that they had caught on their own. So Jesus was showing them and Jesus shows us as imperfect disciples that we can serve him. First of all, because he is close by. He was there, right? He said, I'm with you always. He had told them that, hadn't he? He had promised them that. And he showed them, I'm here. They heard that voice coming to them. He is close by. Secondly, he is all-knowing. He knew where those fish were. He knew exactly where to tell them to throw that net, cast that net. And he knows all. And then, thirdly, he provides for our needs. He provided for their needs in superabundance. Uh, as our song just described God creating the, the universe and the galaxies and everything that we see, the vastness around us. He also created those schools of fish, and he can reach into that reservoir of resources and just say to us, here, 
I'm going to give you this. I have exactly what you need. And that's what he did for them. And those are good reminders for us. We are imperfect disciples. We are insufficient by ourselves. But Jesus is close by. He is all-knowing. And he provides for all that we need. And he is with you. And he cares for you. And he will provide for you. And so as we serve him, as we serve him in this church family, as we serve him in engaging with our community, as you serve him in your path of life, as you, as, as, as guys and girls and teenagers on the younger end of life head into life and you decide, you know, I'm going to serve Jesus with my life, all of these remain true for you. He is with you, he knows all, and he provides for your needs. He also desires... For us to be with him and to have fellowship with us. This is so beautiful. Look at what it says starting in verse 11. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, verse 12, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus, and here's this phrase again, showed himself, disclosed himself, revealed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So as imperfect disciples, we can, and this will be the second main idea, accept his invitation to warm fellowship. Accept his invitation to to warm fellowship. The picture is beautiful, the, the fire and the fish on the fire, and you can smell the aroma of that meat cooking there. Anybody ever have fish for breakfast? It's actually pretty good. Fish for breakfast is not a bad thing. And that's what these disciples were about to enjoy, and Jesus was showing his care for them as hungry men coming in off of the, off of the lake. But there was more to it than that. He said, I want you to come close. I want you to draw close to me. And in verse 12 says, they, they knew it was the Lord, but they, they were afraid to ask. And there's different ideas as to what this means, but I, the, what I understand it to mean is that they recognized him, but they were still in awe. It was like, is this real? Is it, can this be true? Are we really standing here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, our, our home, our our the place where we have grown up and worked and lived and Jesus was here with us and then he died. Can it, can it be real that this is him? And he's inviting us, this resurrected Lord, inviting us to draw close to him. And there is a wonder that comes with fellowship with the risen Savior, isn't there? Isn't it amazing that, that he invites us to draw close to him and to fellowship with him? And if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you've grown up in a Christian home, you can lose the sense of awe and wonder that should be connected to fellowship with Jesus Christ. And I think that's, that's what's going on here. They're in awe, right? They, 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 know, they recognize him, but they're afraid to say, is it really you? Because there's that sense of wonder and awe. And that's something for us to learn from, isn't it? Yes, we, we have all of our inadequacies and imperfections and sins, but the reality is he, he invites us to draw close, and we should never lose the sense of wonder about that. And you and I, as believers today, with the, with the scriptures and with the Holy Spirit in us, can get up on a morning, in a morning, and just, just sit down with our cup of coffee or whatever it is in our Bibles and lift our hearts and talk to the Lord 
and hear from him through his word and walk with him through the day and fellowship with him. And it is a wonderful thing. Serving Jesus starts with fellowshipping with him. Imperfect disciples can serve Jesus because he invites us to draw close to him and have warm fellowship. And that is really where serving him begins with that fellowship with him. James said in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, now this narrative has been focusing the attention on Peter. And what, what has happened so far has been a lead-in to a very personal encounter between Peter and Jesus. And we come now to the heart of the matter. And let me make a few comments as we enter into the next section of this passage. If you've studied verses 15 through 17 or heard sermons on this passage, you may know that there are several sets of synonyms. So you look in, in the English translation here, you see a word and and you might understand that some of these words have different underlying Greek words behind them. And, and there are some synonyms here. In fact, there are two words for love. There are two different words for tending the flock. There are two words for the flock itself. And there are two words for know, K-N-O-W. So, so John, as he wrote, used some synonyms here. And there are different opinions about how significant these are. Some say they do represent very significant shades of meaning, and others say, well, the writer was just using different words like any writer would do, right, just so he wouldn't be super repetitive. I like what one one, uh, student of the word, scholar of the word, says about this. What's important is that Peter reaffirms his love for the Lord. That's what's important. And that he is rehabilitated and recommissioned. That's, that's the message that comes through this. So, so I'm going to take that general approach that Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to reaffirm his love for Jesus, and that's exactly what happened. Peter did just that. I do think it's significant, as, and we'll see as we read it here, that, that, that there's a count the second time, the third time. So I think the number of times that Jesus asked Peter a particular question is significant. And so we'll see that as we read. Now, look with me starting in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, you you just feel the, the focus tighten here, right? In on these two individuals. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He, Jesus, said to him, Peter, again, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So here's a third truth, a third lesson, a third way that we can think about imperfect disciples serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We can serve Jesus 
when we affirm our imperfect yet sincere love for him. We affirm our love for him. It is imperfect, but it is sincere. I think that summarizes what Peter is doing here. We affirm our imperfect yet sincere love for him. Now, as we read this, and and Jesus asks the question uh, in verse 15, do you love me more than these? Well, that raises another question, right? So who is he referring to by these? He might be referring to these other disciples. So do you love me more than you love your buddies? More than you love these guys that you hang around with and grew up with and fished with? Or these could mean your boat and your net and your fish, right? So do you love me more than this life, more than your prior vocation, more than just the experience and the security that comes with with your fishing occupation? Or it could mean more than, do you love me more than these other men do? Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And I, I lean toward the last one. I don't think he was, I don't think Jesus was asking, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? Or more than you love the boat and the net and the fish? I think he was asking, Peter, do you really love me more than James and John and these other disciples love me? And why would he ask it that way? Because Peter had claimed to be more loyal to Jesus than the others, didn't he? Mark 14 says, After the Passover meal, the Last Supper, they sung a hymn. They went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said, Mark 14, 27, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And guess who spoke up at that point? You know who, don't you? Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Good old Peter And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So it seems to me like Jesus was circling back to that moment and saying, you know what, Peter, you said that you, regardless of what anybody else did, that you would be loyal and the question is, do you really love me? Did you show your love for me more than those, those other disciples did? And of course, the answer is no. So, so Peter is reluctant to answer. He, he did not say, oh, yes, I do love you more than, than they do, because he knew that that had not been the outcome. He just, just very tentatively expressed his love, didn't he? He said, Lord, I, I do love you, and you know that I love you. And then verse 17 says he was grieved, so he felt conviction about this. He, he experienced regret. There was shame. And that was right, wasn't it, for him to be ashamed and feel regret and to sorrow over his disloyalty to his Savior, Jesus. That was right for him to do that. But that led to a growing affirmation of his love for Christ. Three times Peter had said he didn't even know Jesus. And and Jesus now graciously extends to Peter the opportunity to declare his love for Jesus three times. And Peter did that three times. And we call this restoration, don't we? Restoration. Jesus put step by step 
by step in front of Peter to say, Peter, just reaffirm your love for me and you'll be able to serve me. Don't we have a good God? He does that for us, doesn't he? We are imperfect disciples. Even after we are saved, we, we sin, we are selfish, we disobey. There are times, sometimes in our lives, where we, we take a side path. We get off track. We're away from God. But he very graciously draws us back. And you might be sensing that kind of a, a voice, that kind of a call today. Jesus saying to you, do you love me? Yes, you have, you have stepped off the path. Yes, you have been disloyal. Yes, you have maybe even denied me with your words or with your life, but I'm giving you the opportunity to return. What a gracious God we have. And he gave Peter that opportunity. Forgiveness is possible. Restoration is possible. We love him because he first loved us. Your and my love is imperfect. But if you love him, tell him as faltering as it is. Whatever failure you may have had, Jesus, I do love you. And I want to walk with you. And I want my life to count for you. I want to serve you. And then that leads us to understand a fourth truth. As imperfect disciples, we can serve Jesus when we understand the great privilege and responsibility he gives us to serve him. We understand the great privilege and responsibility he gives us to serve him. Every time Peter responded, Jesus responded with an instruction, didn't he? Feed. Feed my lambs. Verse 16, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. Lead them to pasture. Take care of them. Protect them. And here is this description of the people of God as sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. He he, he died for the sheep, and so they are precious to him. So whatever, whatever way God may give you of serving him, it's going to involve in some way contact with his sheep, helping his sheep, feeding his sheep, caring for his sheep. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, whatever you may do in, in this ministry, reaching out to people, around us in this community whom God loves and the Holy Spirit is drawing and either are his or will become his, they are his sheep. When you serve in the church, you serve alongside the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And as Acts 20 verse 28 says, it is the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And he gave his life for the sheep and he bought the church with his blood. So what a privilege for us to serve in this setting among his people and the church which he purchased with his own blood. Now, now Jesus moved from questions and instructions to a prediction, and we see this prediction in verses 18 and 19. Look with me at these verses, starting in verse 18. So Jesus says to Peter, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. He said, Peter, you, you dress yourself. You get up in the morning, you decide where you're going to go, what you're going to do. That, that's what your life has been. But the time is going to come 
when that's going to be different. And somebody else will take you where you do not want to go. What he's talking about here is the fact that he was going to be giving up his life for Jesus. So here's another way that we can think about serving Jesus as an imperfect disciple. As imperfect disciples, we can serve him if we will yield to his will as a way of life. Yield to his will as a way of life. Remember how the story started? Peter said, I'm going fishing. Right or wrong, he was asserting his independence, right? He was just saying, here's what I'm going to do today. And he could act with autonomy. He could make his own choices. But now what Jesus is saying to Peter is to be able to serve me and follow me, you will have to give up that autonomy and that independence. You will need to yield your will to me as a way of life. And verse 19 tells us that by this he was signifying the death by which Peter would glorify God. He was saying Peter would be martyred. He would be killed for his faith and for being a follower of Jesus. And what's interesting here is that Peter was not executed immediately, was he? In fact, it was probably 30 years. So he lived for 30 years literally under a death sentence, didn't he? Isn't that interesting? And knowing that there was going to be an untimely, involuntary, and probably agonizing end to his life. This is speaking of crucifixion. Peter would be crucified like his Savior. Can you imagine living 30 years knowing that was going to be how, you would, how your life would end? There's a powerful lesson here, isn't there? Jesus had said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? His cross daily and follow me. And just like Peter would live every day the rest of his life, knowing that one day the time would come when his life would be taken from him because of Christ, and he lived every day with that knowledge, and he yielded his life to the will of his Savior in the same way that is how we must live, right? As followers of Jesus and to serve Jesus, yielding to our master's will and not just as a one-time decision, but like Peter, as a way of approaching life, a way of thinking about every day of our lives, to yield to him. Now look with me, starting in verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. That's speaking of John again, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, had reclined next to Jesus when they were eating. Peter says, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And and said, so John had said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will, if my will for him is that he remains until I come, until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. This saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die, but that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? So the point here is that Peter was comparing himself with John and wondering what would happen to John. And Jesus was stating that his will, Jesus' will, would be the supreme guiding force in every one of the disciples' lives. Peter, John, all of them. 
So the issue is not what does God want to do in and through somebody else's life, but what does he want to do in and through your life? What is his will for you? Is Jesus' will the supreme guiding force in your life? Are you willing to acknowledge it as the supreme guiding force for you, regardless of what anybody else does, regardless of what anybody else experiences? The call is to follow him, right? You follow me. Will you, you this morning, will you take that as Jesus called to you? You follow me. Regardless of your friends, your family, your co-workers, your classmates, your neighbors, will you follow me? Imperfect disciples can serve Jesus. You agree with that? We can, can't we? It starts with believing in him as Savior, believing on Jesus, the one who died to pay for your sins and rose from the dead. And just like these disciples with all of their human frailties did believe in Jesus, the crucified Savior, the risen Lord, they believed in him, you and I can as well. That's how we are saved, by believing on Jesus to save us from our sins. It starts there, but then it, then it goes next to recognizing that you can't do it without him. Just like they were insufficient in and of themselves, but they came to recognize that Jesus is the all-knowing, all-sufficient one. You and I can serve Jesus with our imperfections, our insufficiency, when we recognize we can't do it without him. And we can also serve him as we draw close to him. Come and eat breakfast. Come on over. Let's fellowship. And he invites us to do the same. That is key to serving him, is walking with him in sweet fellowship. And then grow in your love for him. How is your love for Jesus? Is it kind of a low-grade awareness that he's done some good things for you? Is there a passion? Is there a heart? Does it drive you? Does it compel you? As Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. Do you ever just stop and think, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave yourself for me. I just love you. It's imperfect, it's inadequate, but I just love you and I want my life to count for you. How is your love? Grow in your love for him. And then we can serve Jesus when we remember what a great privilege and responsibility it is to serve him, to take care of his sheep. Your place in his church, your place in his work is a privilege. It's not a chore. It's a blessing. We can do it with joy. And then yield to him as your way of life. Just yield to him. As I think back today over uh, God's hand in my life, I think I probably lived about a third of my life for myself. I was saved when I was eight years old. But it was when I was a late teenager, getting close to 19, 20 years old, that I really began to realize that I needed to just yield my life to the Lord. And I did. And I just by God's grace, his, his prompting in my heart and influences around me, just one day said, Lord, my life is yours. I want to live for you. Maybe that's a, a statement. Maybe that's a way that you need to respond to God today as a young person, just to say, Lord, my life is yours. Maybe to renew that. Regardless of your age, Lord, my life is yours. Whatever I have left, 
I'm going to live it for you. We can serve Jesus as imperfect as we are. Would you please pray with me? Thank you, Father, for sweet time in your word. Thank you that we can enjoy and learn from your interaction with those disciples. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have the same risen Savior, the same all-powerful Lord, the same warm, loving friend that you were to them. So we pray that you would help us to grow in our love for you. Help us not to make excuses for, serving, for not serving you. Help us to realize our sufficiency comes from you, whether it is physical, material, spiritual, emotional, whatever resources we need, you provide them in abundance. And I pray for anyone, a man, a woman, teenager, boy or girl, who has not trusted you as their Savior, that even what we talked about today would provide them with the information they need and the encouragement that's needed to do that. And I also pray that all of us would yield our lives to you, but I pray especially for boys, girls, young men and women who have a life ahead of them, that they would say to you, my life is yours. I will live every day for you. In Jesus' name, amen.